uh, please do so. If not, either way, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 3. It's on page 45 if you would like to use uh, a Bible from the church. We're going to begin reading at verse 13. So we're going to now try to take on the second half of uh, the book of Exodus chapter 3. Um, We're going to begin reading at verse 13, and we'll read down through verse 22. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go, gather uh, the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Hmm. There is no word like your word. It's a treasure to us. And Father, our prayer is that we might delight in this word, that that you might open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in this word. And and Father, and in looking to this word, we would see you and that you would transform us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in chapter 3 of Exodus, 
such a central chapter in this entire book of Exodus, the Lord has begun the liberation of his people. They are currently in Egyptian bondage, where they have been for some 400 years. And now the Lord has begun this liberation by, first of all, making an appearance to Moses. Earlier in this chapter last week, we saw that the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And the Lord spoke to Moses from that bush. Moses is about 80 years old right now. And for the last 40 years, he's been living in the wilderness of Midian, far away from Egypt. And he has served as a shepherd to probably the family business, probably his father-in-law. He's married, has at least one child. And last week, the Lord spoke to Moses. Uh, Last week, we saw that the Lord spoke to Moses. It was more than last week that he did that. But uh, last week, we saw that the Lord spoke to Moses and revealed to Moses that, that he had heard the cries of his people, that he had seen their affliction, and that he has come down to rescue them. Now, I'm sure up to this point in Moses' mind, everything is weird, but not that far-fetched. But it's what God said next to Moses in verse 10. He unveils to Moses not only his plans to rescue his people, but, but how he has now summoned Moses to go do that task. To which Moses now asks two questions. We saw the first question last week. The first question is he poses in in verse 11, he just simply asks, well, who am I? And the Lord replies, I will be with you. It was Moses asked, who am I? And I think what I said last week is he really is, is maybe posing the question, am I up to that task? Am I adequate for, for that responsibility? And the, and the Lord's answer to him was really not anything about him per se, but it was about the Lord being with him. The Lord has promised his presence. Then, then that triggers what we will pick up with this morning, the second question that he asks well, now, if I go there and, and, uh, and, and I say this to the people, explain this to them, and, and what if they ask, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So you'll be with me, but who are you? In the first Half of the 20th century, a famous American pastor once reflected, listen to these, there's like three sentences here I want to give to you that are just so poignant. And if this was a problem in the first half of the 20th century, how much more is it a problem in the first half of the 21st century? But this pastor wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, your and my conception of God is the most important thing about us. I don't know that we normally think in terms of those categories. He writes, always the most revealing thing about the church, so he shifts from 
what a Christian, individual Christian thinks about God to then collectively what does the church think about God. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Just as her most significant message is what she says about Him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. And then one more sentence. He says this. The heaviest obligation lying upon the church today is to purify and to elevate her concept of God until he once again is uh, worthy of what we say about him. Now, Moses is going to get an orientation. Uh, uh, he's going to get a revelation as to who this God is. And I want you and I to lean into that this morning because, because what the Lord reveals to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3 is what the Lord wants Moses to know about him and it's what the Lord wants you and I to know about him. So when Moses asks, who are you? Um, what shall I say is your name? M- Moses is, is struggling with a knowledge of God. His view of God has been diminished or warped or twisted or, or even vanished, if you would, from his soul and from his conscience. And I, and I think, first of all, that's indicated in what he says to begin with. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, if, if, in other words, I'm not saying I'm going to do this yet. And the, the Lord has just said, I've come to send you. And, and Moses is saying, now, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, if. If I obey you and go and do what you tell me to do, Which ones of the Lord's divine commands are optional? Now, we all, we all snicker at that, don't we? Because we're church folk and we know that he's being funny right now, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 yet, and yet the real battle, the real struggle is, is not how we get dressed up on Sunday and come and sing a couple of songs and, and, and then hear a sermon about this stuff. But the real struggle is when we leave out of here and it's just you and God. It's, it's just the struggles of your own heart and soul and, and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's living before the face of God who speaks commands to us. Which ones of God's commands are open to negotiation on our part. I mean, it's a gracious thing at this moment, and this is really the first thing I want us to maybe get a handle on. It's a gracious thing that God is about to reveal himself to Moses. The way Moses has just begun this conversation with a big old if. Now, if I do what you say, God would have been just to say, forget about it. Forget about it. We're done with you. 
but for God to patiently and gently and graciously unfold his nature and character to a guy who has begun with, if, if I do what you say. It's an immensely kind thing for God to disclose and reveal himself to us in the first place. For, for what we know about God already, the Bible tells us, we have ignored it and suppressed it. And yet an even deeper tragedy here is, is uh, Moses, I mean, on one hand... I appreciate the honesty, but, you know, but hey, when I get back to the people and they want to know who you are, um, what, what, what am I going to tell them? In other words, what, here's what's so tragic about the beginnings of the book of Exodus. Now, it's going to be resolved before the book is done, but, 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 but God enters into a world in which people have forgotten him, ignored him. You forgot who God is? You have misplaced the knowledge of God? Can you and I exist operating with a a faint awareness, a, a somewhat ignorance of God? No wonder Israel is in bondage at this moment. God is using this bondage to, to, to stress upon them exactly who, his, who he is, that his name might be known, first of all, among his people who have forgotten him. And ultimately, that his name might be known throughout all the world in what he graciously does in rescuing his people. So here's what the Lord says, beginning in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to, to and, and he said, say this. And he says this three times. Say this to the people of Israel. He says this three times in these verses. Uh, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you to me. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So just just stop there, verses 14 and 15 for a second, and try to unpack what's being said here. Um, God is um, graciously revealing himself uh, to uh, his people, to Moses, and now through Moses eventually to the people of Israel. And what he says there in verse 14, uh, I am who I am. It's actually a verb. How many of you go by a verb for your name? So on the, on the one hand, this, like, this is really bad English grammar here. Uh, on the other hand, this is so important that we grasp what is being revealed to us when God simply... Now, Moses said, what's your name? And he's going to get to that more specifically in verse 15. But for now, he gives a verb. Uh, and the verb is really the verb of to be. Uh, that, that, that it's in the, and it's in the present tense. I am who I am. I am what I am. I am that I am. 
On the one hand, that that is mysterious and inscrutable. On the other hand, God is revealing something to Moses about himself. And, And first of all, I think what we could deduce from this is what God is saying is, I exist. That's who I am. I'm the one who exists. God is who he is, and, 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 and that's all there is to it. I am the one who is eternally present. God is the one who always is. He is the one who always has been who he is, and he is the one who will always be who he is. Part of what I mean by that is God is saying to us in this odd kind of verbal verbiage that he is eternal and unchangeable, that he is self-existent and that he is self-sufficient, that he is self-existent and self-sufficient, meaning that he does not depend upon anything else for his existence. And in fact, it's just the other way around. Everything else that does exist depends upon him for its existence. He is above all that he has made, and he is independent of all that he has made. He is the I am, the existent one, the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one. Everything else owes its life to God, but God uh, has life in in himself. Uh, Nothing outside of himself is what contributes to his existence existence. He simply exists all by himself. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, to put a paraphrase on that, really what God is saying to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3, God says, I am that I am. You and I are what we are by the grace of God. God is what he is by himself. God, on the one hand, is unknowable. And yet, he is discoverable because he has revealed himself to us. His resources are inexhaustible. His His power is unwearied. He shares life, and yet in sharing life, he is never diminished. He he gives and is none the poorer for his giving. He works and is never weary. He is forever, and yet he never ages. And even like in the bush that we looked about last week that burned, he burns and yet is never consumed. No one, nothing can thwart God's plans or purposes. 
The second thing, or another thing that we could learn about what is revealed is, is uh, he shifts now, and uh, he takes the verb that he uses in verse 14, I am who I am, uh, say, say this to the people of Israel, I am have, have sent you. And, and then he says in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Now, You'll, you'll notice there that this is not a mere title. It is true that, that, that the Lord uh, is entitled to the title Lord, as in king, master, ruler. And, and yet you'll notice here, if you, if you look there, it, it's all caps. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So this is not just simply a generic title here. We, we are now... We are now Right smack dab, if you would, in the middle of God's re- re- revealed name. Now, it's in conjunction with the, the verb, I am that I am, and, and, and yet it's now he's now switched to a noun, and, and he's, he's now revealing himself via his particular name. And, and uh, our English translators translate that Lord, and yet literally what it is is the, is the name Yahweh. Yahweh. That is, that is the name that God specifically reveals um, uh, to his people. In fact, I would suggest to you that is, the, that is the very intimate and very personal, the very proper name of God that, is, that, that his people are given permission to use in reference to him. And that's, that's amazing. You know, like, I, I, I go by different titles and 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 yet and yet uh, one of the one of the best names, uh, if you would, if you would call for me that that is only reserved for a select few human beings on the face of this earth, is the name Papa. Everyone else just call me Mr. Braden or something like that. I don't know, but. Um, in other words, this is, this is a name reserved for in a very personal way. Everyone else calls him God. Everyone else gives him the title Lord. But he says to you people, you, you just call me Yahweh. And I think what that's trying to suggest to us is this God who is self-existent and self-sufficient, who, who is dependent upon no one, who needs nothing outside of himself to live and exist, who is eternal and unchanging, yet this God chooses to draw close and, and be personal with his people. He's, he's, not this, he's, he's not a distant or an aloof God. He's not in some faraway distant galaxies. Oh, he is there because wherever the galaxies do end, God is, is out there somewhere. And yet he's the God who desires to be near and close to his people. In fact, what ought to be one of the sweetest statements in the Scriptures that begins early in the Bible and is traced all the way through to the, some of the last chapters of the Bible is this incredible statement that God makes, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Yeah, but really, what else do you got for me? No, that'd be a lesson in missing the point. In other words, this self-existent, self-sufficient God who needs nothing, yet chooses to say, I, I, I want to draw you into intimate, close relationship with me. I, 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 I want, in fact, let all the world know, I'm their God, and they're my people. They get to call me Yahweh. 
He's the God, as we, as we go on, this, this God who covenants with his people, who says to his people, you, you call me uh, Yahweh. He, he says there in verse 15, um, though I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, and, and thus I will be remembered throughout all the generations. Verse 16, go and gather the is- elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, there, there's the name again, Yahweh, the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that. Here's the God of the covenant uh, basically saying, I am the God who does not forget the promises I make to my people. I am the God who will not forsake my people. Here's the God who needs none of us. And yet, he's the God who wants each of us. Not because he derives some thrill or trip out of like having us. Now look at what I have. He, he doesn't need anything. And, and, and yet, in, in the overabundance of his love, not of any sort of deprivation, but, but for an overflow of his love, he says, I'm going to draw you up into relationship with me, and I will not forget the promises I've made to you. I will not forsake you as my people. He is, the, is Yahweh who brings his people into covenant relationship with them, and he is faithful to that covenant. He says in particular in verse 17, his faithfulness is going to be seen in how he is the God who rescues. He says in verse 17, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, to the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I, I, will, I will bring you up and I will bring you to Here is a God who is good and faithful. He is good to his people, and he is faithful to his people. So here's the God who is is in need of nothing, and yet here is a God who draws close graciously to his people, who is good and faithful to his people. Say, what relevance does that have to this week? Well, I don't know. I don't know what is going to unfold in your life this week. It may be a good week for you. And all things considered, that's, I'll join with you and pray for that, for a good week. And, and, and if it's a good week or a bad week, the one thing that should be the most constant in terms of our heightened awareness, our sensitivity to what we need, is that we need to know this God and we need to walk with this God. Because if it's a good week, then you need to know where that goodness, uh, those blessings came from. And if it's a hard week, then you need to know who the answer is to get you out of that difficulty and, and to give you the grace to sustain you in that difficulty. And so whether you have a good week or a bad week, you're still in need of the Lord. You're still going to live in response to His presence in our world, in our lives. He goes on. 
He says something really important here uh, in verse 18, uh, speaking of the elders, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Now, some of what he says in the verses that unfold here are going to really are overlapping with some of the things that we're going to see in the subsequent chapters. And so I'll just do a, a, a quick uh, drive-by on those. But, but, but we, what we see here is not only is God good and faithful, but when you factor in what he's just said about um, his interactions and what that will consist of with Pharaoh, we also know that he is wise and powerful. He's good and faithful, and he already knows what's going to unfold. I, I know as sure as you guys go to Pharaoh, uh, he's not going to let you go. I know that, so don't, don't be um, uh, disjointed when that unfolds. I, I've called it already, but know this, but know this, before it's all done, because of my signs and wonders, because of the display of my power, because of the strength of my hand, You'll be delivered. Do you understand what God is up to in your life and in this universe on this day? He is a God who leverages, or maybe a better word is deploys, His goodness, His faithfulness, His wisdom, and His power on behalf of His people. So on the one hand, to paraphrase, I am what I am, we could, it wouldn't be much of a stretch for us to understand I am what I am in light of, of the full understanding of, of his character and his attributes. He is the God who also says, I will do what I do. And yet hear this, he will do what he does always and only for the good of his people, for the glory of his name, but the glory of his name is inseparably bounded to the good of his people. Now, we see that in play in Moses' day and age. And as he begins to unveil to Moses, once again, who he is, he is the I am. Now, fast forward quite a ways until you get to the Gospel of John. One of the things that got Jesus in trouble is, in a sense, Jesus is going to point out in John chapter 8 that, that this God who is speaking through the bush to Moses is, in fact, the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says something incredible in John chapter 8. Uh, and, and, and it gets kicked up in quite a fuss, but he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the original audience understood what he meant by invoking that I am because they thought he just blasphemed God, made himself equal with God, and tried to get stones and kill him right there on the spot, which would have been the just punishment for blaspheme, and except in this case, it wasn't blaspheme. It's true. And yet along those lines, something that Jesus has been pushing on them in chapter 8 of John, he says, I told you in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. In other words, he's saying, unless you believe that I am God, unless you believe that I am the God who always has been, the God, the, the God that appeared to Moses in the bush, unless you believe and come to grips with my deity and my divinity, you will die in your sins. And then he says in chapter 8, verse 28, for when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. This eternal God, self-existent, self-sufficient, who graciously reveals himself to his people, who wants to live close and personal with his people, who displays faithfulness and goodness to his people, who, who displays wisdom and power to his people, is a God that can be known and that we can enter into a relationship with this God through this God, Jesus who has come to this earth and become the God-man, taking on flesh, thereby identifying with humanity, living the life that was required of humanity to live, but miserably failed. But this Jesus lived it perfectly, fulfilled all righteousness, and yet this Jesus went to the cross, and there God himself in the second person of the Godhead as the God-man died on that cross, absorbing the justice of God, absorbing the penalty of our sins, bearing up under our sins and its curse uh, for us and for our salvation on the cross. And, 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 and when we see this Jesus dying on the cross for us, and we say, he is who he says he is. He is the one to whom my trust belongs. He is the one whom my loyalty and dependence belongs. He is the one whom my affections and love belong. He is the one whom I am called to follow. follow. It is this Jesus who is the I am. Turn to Jesus. Trust only in him. And then you will be in right relationship with this God. Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life that you may know the one true God and Jesus whom he has sent. Father, thank you. Thank you for the eternal life, the knowledge and relationship that we get to have with our maker, our creator, and that we get to experience that through the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to marvel, to rejoice, to worship, to be in all of, to be in dependence upon the Lord Jesus. For we pray this and all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able...